just thank you for this chance to get together and to worship you through the study of your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we study and help us to see what you would have us to see through this, this chapter. In your son's name, amen. amen. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if we had not been for the Lord on our side, who was on our side when men rose up against us? When they had swallowed us up quick, when, they had, when their wrath was kindled against us, then the, wa then the waters had overwhelmed us and the streams had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Bless the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and, they, and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So this is a little short one that's uh, attributed to David. And again, because it is a song of degree, it may or may not be David's uh, in, in spite of what it attributes it to him. Uh, but it says, it starts out in verse 1, If or except it had been for the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say. You know, and this is going to be repeated, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us. So we have this re repeated sentence coming in. And he says, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, you know, God is on our side. If we're, if we're his people and his children, he's on our side. And as Paul said later on, if God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, and then he went on, tribulation and, and hardship and wit, neither height nor depth nor width or breadth. You know, he went on and on about in principalities. Nothing can be against us successfully when God's on our side. Now, we may feel like they're being successful. We may feel like we're getting beat up. But, you know, God oftentimes wants to teach us to, to not be dependent upon feelings. Because when we start depending on feelings, we make a lot of mistakes. And not just with God, but with anything. You know, well, I feel like this person doesn't like me because they were, I feel like they were just being mean to me and they were just having a bad day and, so, you know, a little sharp that day. Uh, and we're judging them by how we feel. And we want to be very careful with feelings, especially when dealing with God. Because we look at his word, his word is true no matter what I, what I feel. Uh, he promises that all things work together for good. So when things look like they're going bad and, and I'm having a hard time, God still says it's for my good. Even when I feel like I'm a miserable wreck and everything, everything's wrong and I feel like the, the world is coming against me and somehow I feel like God has lost control, God says everything works for good, and we want to quit being basing our decisions on feeling. God is on our side. And here he says, if the Lord had not been on our side, now may Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men rose up against us, he says, if God had not been on our side when people rose against us, and you know, Israel has had problems with this its entire existence, all the way back to Saul, all the way back to Joshua, Nations have been rising up against Israel. Nations that should have conquered them and taken them out of existence. Hitler, you know, for all practical purposes, should have been able to take the Jews out of existence. And he tried hard, but God would not allow it. He would not allow all these powers that come up against Israel to take them completely out of existence. He will not let anybody take his church out of existence because his church is his bride, and he says, I will protect my bride. But we do want to keep in mind that God also says that 
precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. When we die as his saints, God says that's a great thing. Why? Because we get to go home. We get to go to his presence. We get done with all the garbage that we have to go through. The best thing that can happen to us is that we go home. Now, that does not mean go on and commit suicide and try to get home fast. It just means once we die, the greatest thing that we can be going through is the fact that we are home. And this is something I look forward to. And I agree with Paul. You know, as long as there's something for me to do in this life, I want to be here and do what he wants me to do, whatever that might be. You know, whatever that might be. If he wants me to be bruised and beat up and annihilated and that's how he's going to use me to, to witness and bring people to him, then I'm going to say, thank you, thank you God, I'm, I'm willing to do it. You know, we, I wrote in the, the pan, uh, bulletin today about Paul and Silas in Philippi. Beat, uh, beat with rods in the prison in the middle of the night and what were they doing? Singing praises to God and, and praying. And of course, that's what all of us would be doing if we were beaten and put in prison, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the first thought in our mind would be, to, be, would be to sing praises to God and be yeah. praying. And that's why I love that song, because that, that, that's, that uh, picture of Paul, because it really says that he believed in this whole idea that he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Paul and, Paul and Silas were, were beat in pain in the in the prison and they're praising God. You know, so he was being a very good example to us of exactly what he said to do. You know, he was saying, I'm telling you to, to be joyful in everything and he says, I'm going to give you this example by how I'm living my life. And you know, I love reading that story because I always be, I've always sat down and thought, I go, is that what I would have been doing? In the back of my mind, I'm going, I sure hope so, but you know, my reality, my reality, yeah. yeah, I want to think that I would, but the reality of it is that initially I probably wouldn't be. Now, I probably, with as long as I've walked with God, would have come to the, okay, God, now would I have been singing and all that? I don't know. I don't know that I'd be singing, but I probably would have come to the reality, God, you're in control. I don't understand this, but you're in control because of how long I've walked with God and watched him bring me through things that are hard. And that's how Paul could do it. Paul, Paul if, he had, if this had happened right after Damascus event, he probably would not have been singing and praising God in the middle of the prison. In Philippi, he had been walking with God for quite a while and started understanding, if God's on my side, then nobody can be against me. So if you defend yourself, in a sense, you would be ruining your... Your testimony? Yeah, your testimony. Not necessarily, because you've got to look at the second half of this story about Paul. They're arrested on trumped-up charges, beat without a trial, thrown into prison, worshiping God and praising God. God sends an earthquake. The Philippian jailer takes them out of the prison because he, all of a sudden he's getting saved and he's wondering, these guys are strange anyway. The people are going to let Paul and Silas quietly leave town. Okay, they're, basically they send a message, okay, let these guys go and just tell them to get out of town and be quiet. Paul comes back and says, you beat a Roman citizen and you just want us to walk out quietly? There was a time to defend himself. And there was a time to be quiet. And this is the thing that we need to be aware of. We are not to be whipping posts and, and people just beating up on us 
all the time. There may be a time for that. And there's a time to defend ourselves and say, God, I'm going to stand up and take my rights as, in Paul's case, a Roman citizen, or in our case, a US citizen, and say, God, I'm going to defend myself because of my rights. And there's all kinds of Christian law groups that do this. They, they protect Christians who are going through hard times on the basis of, here's your rights. But God doesn't want you to be a doormat. Right, and that's what I'm saying. There's time for a time for a defense, and there's a time to just back off and say, okay, God, what are you working on? The hard thing for us is to listen to God and know the difference. That's a hard part. That's a very hard part. Paul could have, from the very beginning, when he was being beat, say, uh, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. What do you think you're doing? Then we wouldn't have had the, the testimony of him praising in the, in the prison and the earthquake and the Philippian jailer being saved. You know, it may have been some other story, but, you know. So again, you're right. God's not saying be a doormat, be a, be a whipping, whipping boy, but there is a time to be quiet and there is a time to stand up and defend. And the hardest part, the hardest part is listening to God and knowing what time is it? You know, is it time for me just to be quiet and let God work or is there a time for me to do the greatest defense that I can, can do? But Jesus is our example. He says, I only do what the Father shows me. And how did he know? Because he spent all of his time, in, you know, as much time in prayer and, and concentration on the Father. You know, Jesus as a human had the same limitations that we had. And when you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus every morning getting up before everybody else and going off and praying and spending time with the Father so that he was ready to listen to the Spirit. And there was times when he did things that made no sense you, and was basically letting things happen. There were times when he was being very aggressive. He went into the temple and threw the money changers out of the temple and flipped their tables over. And you know, that was a very aggressive move to defend the father's house. But he didn't go in there every day. They weren't just doing it the two times that he, was, that he defended the father's, father's house. They did that all the time. So, but it wasn't for him to go in every single time and kick them out, otherwise he'd have spent every Sunday or every Sabbath day or virtually every day at the temple kicking the people out of the, out of the temple and he wouldn't have done any other ministry for people. Well, it helped lead to his death. It was one of the many things that helped lead to his death. But again, the question is, how, are, how close are we listening to God? Listening to that still small voice. The closer we draw with, to God, the easier it gets to know when to do something, when not to do something, who to speak to, who not to speak to. But again, it's not an easy thing to do. It takes a long time to get there and a lot of mistakes. I've done many mistakes when I've looked back and said, oh, I shouldn't have said that to somebody. Or, wow, I should have shown more love to this person and here I am, you know, messing up God's testimony. God loves this person. And you know, it's very hard sometimes when there's an unlovable or or grumpy person in your life to be showing God's love to them. And some people just grate on our skin. It goes against our human nature to be kind to somebody, especially when they're being mean and nasty yeah. and not loving back yeah. to you. But you know, if they were being nice and kind and easy and you love them, you're really, it's not much of a challenge. It's not much of a Christian testimony to be nice to those who are being, and Jesus said, okay, you were nice to the person who's nice to you, what's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You fed the person who can invite you back to their house for, in reciprocation, big deal. 
Yeah, and it really is. If, if all we're doing as Christians is being nice to other Christians who are nice to us, there's really no big deal on that. The hard part is that family member that, that we just gets under our skin, the, the Christian who is just a mean, nasty person who hasn't grown to be nice to them and say, you know, I love you and I'm going to be kind to you as kind as I can be. That's, that's when it gets down to tough and that's when we start showing the, the love of God. We love Christ because he first loved us, according to 1 John. He loved us when we were sinners and enemies to him, speaking hateful words to him and having hateful actions, and he still loved us. Yeah, he didn't, didn't degrade the guys who were putting him on the cross. He, he was as kind as possible to everybody. Now, there were certain people that knew better, that should have known better, and he would get righteously indignant with them and kick them out of the temple and and get in the face of the, the, the spiritual leaders who were supposed to lead their people. But even then, he did it in, in, in loving ways. I mean, some of it sounds pretty harsh, but compared to what he could have done to them or said to them, he was being very loving. Yeah. He wasn't doing it because he didn't like them. Yeah. He didn't like what they were doing. He didn't like what they were doing, and he was trying to get them to grow. And the thing for us as Christians to learn is to show this love to people. And it is sometimes not easy at all. All of us have somebody that can get under our skin with, with relative ease. The of human kindness just curdles in my throat. <laughs> That's why it's got to be God's kindness and not human kindness. Now, being loving does not mean we're going to let them get away with everything. If you love your child, you do not let them play in the middle of I-40 on a time when traffic is going to be going on because you love your child. You go, no, that's not a play area. Get out of there and you smack their butt and get them off the, off the highway or, or you know, playing on Stockton Hill Road. You know, get off that road. It's too busy to be playing on. Uh, and that's loving them. They may not think it's love at the time that you're telling them to get off the road when all they want to do is have fun on the road. The most important thing for us is those people that get under our skin. And usually, a lot of times, they're family members, because family members know exactly how to get under your skin. Uh, but it can also be another brother or sister in the, in the church. It can be a neighbor. It can be almost anybody that just, when you see them, your stomach starts turning knots, and you start getting upset. And it makes it very hard. You know, you're already in a mood where you don't want to love them and be kind to them. And then, what ends up happening is when you're in that attitude, anything they say or do is read through your emotions that are already angry at them. They could say, are you having a good day? And you're going to think that they're being snotty to you and, and you know, they're being kind to you. They're trying to be kind to you, but your, your attitude was, well, what do you mean by that? You know, are you trying to, are you trying to say I don't normally have a bad day? I've been answered that way by somebody. You know, well, how are you doing today? Isn't it wonderful? Why are you trying to say I don't have a good day normally? Uh, no, I didn't say anything like that. You know? uh, but, you know, we need to be very careful because sometimes when we have a negative attitude towards somebody, everything they say and do then appears to us in a negative way, and they might be trying to be kind to you at that point. Uh, I've watched people, you know, get real snotty at somebody, I'm going, what is going on there? Why are you responding to that person like that? And if I was inside, I'm pretty sure they had this attitude of, I don't like this person, they've been getting under my skin, and anything and everything they say is registered through that grid. And you know, our grid that we register through needs to be God's love. We have to do that. It takes time, it takes effort, and it's changing our way of thinking, changing the way God wants us to think to match his way of thinking. 
and it's not easy. And it's part of growth. It's part of growth. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes getting to know God. It takes being in his word. And the more we do it, the easier it gets. And learning to forgive people, learning to love people, all of that is something that needs to be done through God's love. And it also is a recognition of God loves me when I don't deserve it. You know, God knows me better than anybody else does, and he still loves me. When, even when I do wrong and I, or think wrong, he's, he's already still loving me. And you know, we want to be very careful about all of this. God still loves us, and if he loves us, we need to love others. When he forgives us, we need to forgive others. When he gives us grace, we need to show his grace back to others. The, the bigger problem is we tend to forget who we were and are in God's eyes and so therefore we don't treat others we need to always remember who we are in our flesh we also need to remember on the other side who we are in Christ and how God sees us but the problem is sometimes we get so focused on who we are in Christ that we forget who we are and were and then we tend to not be really ready to forgive and love others because if we really understand that we're sinners, then how can we judge those who are sinners around us? Because they're probably not even half as bad as we are if we really think about it in many cases. In some cases, they're worse, yeah, but in many cases, they're not. They're just sinning in different areas than we, we sin. And this is something that is critically important to understand. You know, where I have it all together, somebody else is looking at me and saying, oh, well, you got it all together, but what's wrong with this area? And I'm looking at them, they don't have the area I have together, but they've got another area, and I'm going, well, you're all, you know, what's wrong with you? It's a splinter from somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it's the splinter and log, log dilemma. I, I've, got my, I've got this whole area put together, and I'm looking at you not having it, but there's this huge log that, you know, that's smacking you upside the head is, as I've got all these other problems that I'm not recognizing. And it is true for us as Christians, we oftentimes forget about how really awful we are in reality. And that's why we don't deal well with other people sometimes. And sometimes we don't deal well with people because they have the same problems we have and we see them intensified and it bothers us. Now, a lot of times with our kids, we, our kids pick up our worst habits in our life and we see them and it really irritates us because we're, we know how much we've struggled with it and then we see our kids doing the same things. But you know, we get irritated when we see ourselves in other people. You know, that's usually what we get irritated by. We see, Maybe I'm not sinning outwardly on this, but I know I struggle with it, and I watch somebody who is outwardly sinning, and it's like, oh, stay away from me. I don't want to have to deal with this. And here it is, he's saying, when God's on our side, people rose up against us. Verse 3 says, when they had swallowed us up quick, when their wrath was kindled against us, you know, and this is that whole idea, he says, in, in case they had swallowed us up quick, you know, they, there's this torrent of, of attack, and people seem to get the better of us. I, I've had this, there's certain people that, you know, in my lifetime that I have just not been able to deal with. You know, they, they have said things, you know, I probably could deal with them now as I've grown a lot more, but then, especially in my younger days, there were people that I could not handle. They could get under my skin in a heartbeat, and sometimes people are there and they're just, it seems like they swallow us up. You know, there's certain things that seem to swallow us up. And again, are we focused on God? You know, I take us back to Paul and Silas in the prison singing praises in the middle of the night after having been beaten. And nobody went in after that beating and, and bandaged them up and, and 
put ointment on them. They were, they were beaten and thrown into the inner part of the, the dungeon, which would have had rats and, and stank and fleas and lice and everything else. Uh, probably people defecated in there. You know, there was no, no, probably no clean straw to lay on. And they're here with beaten, bruised, bloodied bodies thrown into a thing, and they're singing praises to God. See, that wouldn't be me either. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way to get out of there. Most people would be. Well, at the very least, uh, oh, woe was me. You know, what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, this is so bad, you know. And yet, God gave them the grace to sing praises. And again, this was not at the beginning of his, of his ministry. This was, you know, Further in, he had grown a bit. <laughs> and we read these things and it's, it shows us how we're supposed to act and it may take us a long time to get there. It takes us a long time to learn to love those who are hard to love. It takes us a, hard time, a long time to learn to forgive those that are just very hard to forgive because we know that they don't plan to change and yet we're gonna forgive them and show them love. But it starts with the small stuff. One of the best times I had with this was about five years ago, my wife and I went to a new pastor's meeting and our car broke down in Tucson. And I've shared this before. You know, everybody around me is worried about how are you getting home? How are you getting home? I'm going, we've got four days to figure out how we're getting home. And I go, God, God is in control. Now, this is one of the times I did the right things. <laughs> I don't always do the right things when something like that happens, but this is one of those things that I'm just like, guys, calm down. You know, God, God will show me how I'm getting home. God will show me how the car is going to get fixed. I don't. Right now, I have no clue what's going on, and I'm just not going to worry about it. But you can do things right in one situation, and then the next time it comes up with it, almost the same exact thing and totally fail, to <laughs> fail it. <laughs> yeah, that is. Now, a lot of it depends on how well am I listening to God at the moment that, that I'm going through the test. And if you're not focused on God, it's real easy. Peter gets out of the boat in the middle of the storm and is walking on the water, does really well, until he looks at the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the waves, realizes that he can't walk on water, and that there's a storm out there, and starts sinking. You know, and we kind of make fun of him, but you know, he, he had enough faith to get out of the boat in the first place. And he actually walked on, and he actually walked on water. Okay. And he did well until he took his eyes off Jesus. And we usually will do well as long as we're looking at Jesus, and it's when we take our eyes off him and try to figure things out that we fail. When that, when that person that we find hard to love shows up and we take our eyes off God and we look at that person and, our, and all of our emotions start churning up and at that, point, at that point we're in trouble. If we stayed focused on God, okay God, this person's hard to deal with but you're gonna, you're gonna help me. He wasn't thinking about all the, all the things I can't do, I'm focused on Jesus. And you know, when we're focused on Jesus, we'll do miraculous, we'll do miraculous things because we're focused on the right the right point. George Mueller, when he was, you know, trying to raise money for the orphanages, you know, he just had faith in God. His focus was on God more often than not, and God did great things for him. Now, I'm sure that there's parts of his life, in, even in the middle of all those great stories, where he wasn't focused on God and struggled, and, you know, and the story I know focuses on when he did it right more than when he did it wrong, but, you know, still, it was an amazing, amazing fact of all that was accomplished when he was focused on God. And we need to make sure we stay focused on him, no matter, through all times. You know, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, and he's going to make sure that all things work together. And everything, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you, 
you know, and it doesn't say only when, the, when we think it's good, only when it seems good. Paul and Silas was that great example, praising God when everything was going wrong. Verse 4 says, Then the waters had overwhelmed us, and the streams had gone over our souls. And here he's talking about raging torrents of water overwhelming him. And this whole idea of he's in the middle of a storm. You know, and he's saying, God is protecting us. God's on our side. And even when these things are happening, you know, the proud waters have gone over our souls. You know, he's given a whole list of bad things happening. <laughs> and you look at this list, and he's talking some pretty hard things. You know, the enemy is swallowing them up. Their, their wrath is kindled against them. The, the raging waters have overwhelmed them. The streams have gone over their, over their soul. The proud waters have gone over our soul. You know, the, the idea of the proud waters, the turning waters. You know, he's picturing a very bad place. He goes, when all these things are going, God's on our side. And then in verse five, 6, it goes, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. God, all these bad things, all these terrible things are happening. But blessed be God who's right there. Have you been in those places several times, I hope, in your life where all of a sudden God steps into your into your circumstances. Everything seems to be going wrong. You're, you're having a hard time. You're being tossed to and fro. You're, the waters are turning around you. You're, you're going down for the third time. And all of a sudden, God steps in and says, I've got this, and lifts you out. Been, been there on several occasions where God just all of a sudden steps into the situation and says, I've got you. I've got you. I'm just going to lift you out. You know, he is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. And he says, okay, have you had enough of all of this? You're ready to give up? You know, he will let us flounder until we're ready to give up. Because he doesn't want our flesh getting us out of, out of the trials. He lets us try everything we can do to get by. The idea of having human kindness love these people. And God says, no, I'm not going to let that work. You're, you're going to get to the end of your human kindness and you're going to turn to me and we're going to love, we're going to love that person. We're going to show Christ's love to this person. And he just waits. God is incredibly patient. You know, he will wait days, months, years, decades. doesn't matter to him. You know, he waited two decades for, for Abraham to finally decide to get back on the, on the track and obey what he was told to do. You know, Abraham stopped at Haran and stayed there for 20 years. And God was patient with him. Now, I'm sure that Abraham wasn't greatly blessed during those 20 years because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And probably going through some hard times, God, what's wrong? Why, why aren't you blessing me? I'm not seeing all these great blessings. Now, it's not recorded, but I'm sure this was going, you know, God, you're supposed to, you're, you're saying I'm blessed and everything, but he blesses me is going to be blessed, but I'm not feeling blessed because I know that God wasn't blessing him in Haran. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. In my life, if I'm not where God wants me to be, he does not bless me. He makes life difficult for me until I'm finally ready to say, okay, God, I give up. You know, tell me what to do. You think it's that way for everybody? Or yes. If, if you're his child, it is. If you're in his, in his will, you are blessed. And if you're not in his will, especially when you don't know it, you won't be blessed. Now, that doesn't mean every time you're in bad things, you're not in his will. See, that's, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> well, it goes, back, it goes back into trying to understand. Job was in God's will. 
When Satan says, well, Job, uh, God, Job, Job won't love you if you take your hedge around him. And God says, okay, I'll let you, do, I'll let you uh, beat up on Job for a while. Job was perfectly, in God's testimony of him, he's a perfect and upright man. He hates evil. So it's not the exception to the rule. It's not the exception to the rule. If you're not in God's will, bad things are happening. And this is why I say when bad things happen in our life, the first step we look at is, am I sinning? Am I in God's will? And if I'm not, I repent and I get back into his will and do what he wants me to do. Or you look at it and say, well, God, I really can't think, yeah, I've had some sin. I'm repenting of those, but nothing, nothing earth-shatteringly bad that says, okay, God, I deserve all of this punishment. Then you may be just going through a Job situation, God trying to show you and test you. Are you going to be faithful? Yes. Yes. It happens to every single person every single day. Job is just our example to know that it happens. Satan cannot give us a hard time without asking God permission to do so, especially his children. And I personally believe he can't even give the world a hard time, too hard a time, because if he could, he would kill them. So they couldn't become a Christian at all because he hates humans. I believe that he has to ask for permission to do anything harmful to anybody. Now, we can do something wrong and, and get consequences. There are consequences for what we do. If you get totally drunk and you get behind the wheel and you, you know, driving down the road and you hit somebody or something, there's consequences for that action that had nothing to do with the demonic world, the spiritual world. Okay, you did what you did, and you, and you did, there's consequences for it. Uh, and we have plenty of opportunity to do things on our own. We all battle the pride of the, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and that's inside us. And when we sin, there are consequences. See, if you use David as an example, what David did with Bathsheba had nothing to do with Satan. Not necessarily. I mean, it could or couldn't, I don't know. But... The bigger problem in that particular issue is David was not where he was supposed to be. Well, he made choices through. He made lots of choices. Because the beginning of that chapter says, in the spring, in the time that kings went to war, David was on the housetop. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, which then put him in a place of temptation because he was not where he was supposed to be. Yeah, because Uriah was at war, right? Well, Uriah was at war. His generals were at war. David should have been with his army at war. But if David had been at war like he was supposed to, he never would have been on the rooftop seeing Bathsheba. He wouldn't have had that. He would not have had the temptation. Many times we suffer temptation because we are not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. And this is why it all goes back to where we were at the very beginning. The hardest thing in our life is, God, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Who, what am I supposed to be saying? Am I drawing close to God and doing the things I'm supposed to do? And I, I've done this myself. I've moved, I, made, I made a move in my lifetime that had nothing to do with God. I was just doing what I thought was best, and the family suffered greatly during the eight years we were in the wrong place. Eight years in the wrong place and, and having lots of problems. 
Now, there were some blessings because I was still trying to follow God, but eight years in the wrong place drew a lot of problems for the family. The question is, how, how, do, you, how do you get out of that situation? I mean, is there, at some point, you came to the realization that you were in the wrong place. Did you realize that? Was prayer or was it? A lot of prayer and just watching how bad things were going. I'm quite God, you know, I knew it didn't take me long to know I was in the wrong place. The hardest thing is, like just we said it from the very beginning, the hardest thing is listening to that still small voice and saying, God, what is the right place? Where should I be? What should I be doing? And again, the, the hardest question on that even is, just because we're having a hard time does not mean we're in the wrong place. Okay? I knew I was in the wrong place because I saw the suffering of my family, not just what was going on in me, but what was going on in my family. Does not mean that what we went through wasn't going to be worked out for good. God still worked everything out for good, and there was some growth in it in the long run. But there was also damage done that should never have been done. And that's where it really hurts, especially as a father, as I watch my kids suffer. And I watch my wife go through hard times. And I was not in a great place. So I knew we were in the wrong place, but I'm a very stubborn person, if you really get to know me. And I keep, I keep persevering in spite of all the bad because I go, I'm going to make this work. We, we as humans kind of push God away and we ultimately end up suffering a little bit because of it because we're not, we stunt our spiritual growth at the best and we fall behind where we're supposed to be spiritually. Probably made bad decisions in the process. Uh, especially if you're doing it in the years you're raising your kids, you've got, you've got long-term consequences there. And the hardest thing to look at is when you look back over your life and you realize you get right with God and you look at your kids. And I've dealt with a lot of people who look back over their kids and say, man, you know, it was bad enough that I put myself through this, but my kid is doing the same thing that I'm doing. They don't need God. They're acting like it. And, and usually it's amplified. We, we were this bad and they are this bad. And the sad thing is that the grandkids will be this bad if, it, if God doesn't step in and change the pattern. Now the flip side can happen with, on, on the righteous side. I'm living at this level and I'm teaching my kids to live that way and my kids get to the next level and my grandkids will hopefully be the next level if <laughs> other circumstances don't get in the way. You know, we can see it work the other direction. But you know, you look back sometimes and say, man, if only I had done this with my child. And the, my encouragement there is don't live in that attitude because you can't go back and change it anyway. All you can do is encourage your child to seek God. And it's really hard when they, when they were raised with you not seeking God, it's hard to get them to turn to God. And then be ready because if God's going to get hold of their life, he basically has to shake them up hard and take them to the bottom. And that's when... We as parents have to be willing to let God take our child and do what looks like harm to us so that he can get their attention. My oldest one was that way. He had to go basically hit rock bottom before he turned back to God. He came back to God and he's doing really well. This is what ends up happening is sometimes it takes some very tough love to let God do what he needs to for our kids. And I have seen parents that do everything they can so that their kid does not suffer. God's working hard to get their kid to suffer, and they're doing everything they can so their kid doesn't suffer. Oh, you lost your home because of your drinking. You lost your job. Come on back home. I'll take care of you. Go buy me a house. 
you know, I'll get you a house, I'll get you a car, I'll, uh, I'll give you the money, and I'll, I will help you out. And God, I can picture God saying, would you just let them suffer so that they'll depend on me? Because if we want to be God in their life, they'll keep coming back and let us be God in their life until we get tired of it. And then we get, after 20 or 30 years, man, I wish this kid would just grow up and not, and not, uh, not be so dependent upon me and you know, don't want them to be in a bad neighborhood. You know, but you know, that's exactly what they need so that they'll hit the bottom and say, oh, man, I've lost everything. If you listen to some, some of the Christian shows, like Unshackled, where it talks about somebody going from the height, height of everything down to the skid row and then finding God. You know, when they have nothing. They've lost their family, they've lost their job, they've lost their money, they've lost their health. Uh, everything seems to be going wrong and then all of a sudden God says, okay, now you're ready to listen to me. And he, he walks in their life and they go, okay, God, I give up. And then God uses them and, you know, shows them the, the path and everything. But, you know, what if, what if their family had come in and go, oh, you poor soul, you know, we're going we're gonna to put you in the, the back bedroom here and, you know, you just keep living, you keep living your drugs and alcohol life and we'll, we'll allow you to do whatever you want and, and not let them hit bottom. And we've got to be very careful. Now, is there a time to help people? Absolutely, there's a time to help people, but we've got to make sure that we're not enabling bad habits in our help. And this is something that we need to make sure we're looking at. And this is the hardest thing. Again, walking a spiritual life is extremely hard. It is extremely hard knowing when to help, when not to help, when to say something, when not to say something, when to be extremely kind, when to be a little hard, when to, you know, it is not an easy life to live because that's the just shall live by faith. And even when you do it, you have to have the faith, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live the way you want. And I've had people go, well, I really think I need to do this. Well, okay, if that's what you think you have to do, and that's where God wants it. I can't be the one telling you that it's not. But I can tell you that I've seen more people successfully turn back to God when they hit bottom and not be rescued. And usually, well, I can't let my grandkids suffer, or I can't let, you know, I don't want to see my child hurt. Again, we want to be very careful because, you know, we kind of laugh about it, but yet we've all done the same thing with, with them. They'll just be mad at you because they're being kind to their, kind to their, their family. And the more people harp, the more they're going to get entrenched in what they're doing. Because that's the way we are. You're telling me I'm wrong, I'm going, to I'm going to keep doing what is not working to make sure that you know that you can't tell me what to do. You know, we want to be very careful about all of this, but you know, again, walking the spiritual life is extremely hard. Which is why when we look at Jesus' life, we see him do, react so different in various situations. You know, uh, how many times, you know, Peter and John in, in chapter of Acts uh, were, went to the temple and prayed for a lame man to start walking. How many times did Jesus pass by that same lame man who had been there for 30 years? He never healed that man. Peter and John did. How many times did Jesus walk past him? He went to the temple at least three times a year because he was obeying the laws and going to the temple and participating in each of the feasts. And there were many times he had to have walked past this guy laying there for 30 years and never and he never healed the man. So he was waiting for the man to ask him? Or he was waiting for... Uh, it wasn't the time. He'd have to open it. it wasn't the time. If, if Jesus had healed him, he wouldn't have been there for Peter and John to get thrown into prison. And you know, We want to be careful because even though it may be the right thing some other time, it may not be the time now to do something. And you know, this is, again, 
the spiritual life is a hard life to live because it's crucify my flesh and let God work through me. Which means I have to get in every day and say, God, I want to be listening to you. I want you to crucify my flesh. I want to, I want to do the things you want me to do and then start listening to him and not get wrapped up in the things I want to do. And this is one of my hardest things because I've told you, I'm a scheduler. I kind of, I know what my schedule is and I can get so scheduled up sometimes that I ignore divine appointments. And I know there's a divine appointments that I've walked fast and I'm going, you know, I probably should have helped that person. And I've already shared with you in the stores, I'm terrible about just going to where I'm going to go by and get back out as fast as possible. And people will come up the next day, why'd you walk right past me? You didn't even say hi. Don't you like me anymore? I go, I didn't even see you. I'm sorry. And when I'm at the prison, I try to keep God in the forefront of my mind because there's so many people that need help out there and need to be witnessed to that I'm, I'm, I come in, I'm, I'm singing, I'm praising God and just trying to have a great time and tell everybody to have a good day. And you know, they ask me, how are you doing? I'm going, I'm having a fantastic day. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm having a fantastic day because God's in charge. Um, so it's a lot of the attitude that we have as we're looking at it. Are we looking at God? Are we looking at it for what He wants me to do? Now, do I do it all the time outside the prison? You know, outside the prison, I'm not quite as good about it because I'm not looking as much for opportunities outside the prison to share with people for some reason. Inside the prison, I'm looking for opportunities all the time. And outside, I'm not as good about it. I'm being honest with you. I, I, I've walked past many people that probably need my attention as much as any of those prisoners did. And so it's, it's, we all have this problem in our life of not paying attention to God and living in the flesh. And we need to just keep it in mind that God is there. Verse 7 says, Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, and a fowler is somebody that hunted the birds. They used nets. And he says, our enemies are fowlers and are using a net on us and we're still escaping. Their, their nets have holes in them beyond the normal holes. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it says God is providing for us. He says our help is in the name of the Lord. And this is what's so special in, in, that we can look at is saying God will deliver us. You know, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, that God will provide a way of escape from the temptation that we're in. As long as we turn to Him, He's our escape. If we try to do it in our own strength, our own flesh, we'll get beat up. We will fail. You know, even if we don't fail, we'll be beat up. We'll, we'll get out with this, you know, feeling like we've been through a grudge match uh, beating, you know, and we just got out by the skin of our teeth. And God said, well, all you had to do is turn to me and we'd have, we'd have delivered you with no problem at all. You know, we talked about Peter earlier. He got out of the boat, walked on the water, he looked at the waves, and he started sinking. But you know, he knew what to do. Help! <laughs> you know, help, and Jesus lifted him up and put him back in the boat. You know, he knew what to do, and that was call out to Jesus. No matter how bad our situation gets, we need to remember, call out to Jesus. Call out to Jesus. Whether we deserve what we're going through, call out to Jesus. He's full of grace and mercy. If we don't deserve it, we call out to Jesus and he comforts us. You know, Job, you know, we talk a lot about Job, but Job was a very dedicated man and he was a very stubborn man. He fought and fought and fought and fought for a long time, claiming his innocence instead of turning to God and saying, God, I, I need your help. 
He may not have had to have gone through any of this stuff if he had just turned to God and said, God, I, I don't know what's going on. You know, all these bad things are happening to me. Help me. And it wasn't until the end of the book when he finally said, God, I want to talk to you. And then God talked to him, he put was, him in his place. He was just trying to, to deal with it. In his own flesh, in his own power. Uh, and you see that. You see that, you see that in his a answers because his, his friends came along and gave him all these doctrinal positions that they believed in. Job, you must be really, really bad because bad things don't happen to good people. You know, how many people have ever believed that and how many people have heard it from others? And Job's answer was basically when, when these people would criticize him, his answer in very poetic language is, yes, I know what you're saying is true, but I'm not a bad person. I don't deserve what's been going on in my life. And they would come back and say, you know, Job, you, you, know, you must really be terrible because, you know, and, they, and this whole diatribe of this whole time of that book is, Job, you must be a really miserable person because bad things don't happen to, to, to good people. Good people are wealthy, healthy, and doing well. You know, so you must really be an awful person. And you know, Job believed that. That was what he believed. You could see it in his answers. You know, the prosperity gospel is not new. It goes back to Job before Moses and the law. It's a very old idea. If I obey God, I am going to be blessed. Well, not just that, but you know, it's yeah. like if I do what God wants, then yeah. he's going to give me lots of wealth. He's going to give me everything that, that I want, and that is not necessarily going to happen. Now, the, the sad thing is, is that God promises blessing for obedience. And oftentimes, <laughs> we do get material blessings <laughs> for obedience. But the key for that is we need to always remember to have our focus on the giver of the gift, the giver of the blessings, and not on the gifts and the blessings. If we get our focus on the gifts and the blessings and not on God who gave them to us, we have, pro we have problems. This is the spoiled, rotten kid who gets everything they want and quits, you know, has no thankfulness to mom and dad for giving it to them. It's okay, let me go abuse this gift you just gave me. They expect it, and you know it's like, well, you're just doing what you're supposed to. I don't, I don't, not, I don't love you. I don't care for what what it is. I'm just going to use up what you've given me, and when I'm done with this or tired of it, I'll ask for the next thing that you're to give me. And this sometimes is the way we get with God. God, uh, thank you for this gift. Uh, that, that's about as close as you're going to get to me saying anything, God. Now I'm going to go enjoy the gift and forget about you. And this is what Paul was telling the, the Corinthian church. You know, quit seeking the spiritual gifts and seek God. Quit looking for things that you can use on your own self and look at God. And then when he blesses us, we enjoy the blessing, but our focus is still on God. And then we watch God do some miraculous things. We really start seeing him step out. Elijah being surrounded by an army and his servant is freaking out. And Elijah just says, uh, God, open his eyes so he can see what's really out there. I think he'd already knew. He knew that God outnumbered that enemy. He knew that God, God was going to deliver him or not deliver him, and it really didn't matter to him. And now the servant went out and looked, and there was an army of angels around the army circling them. He's going, oh, okay, we, no problem. Why did that work? Because Elijah was able to look. It might have been Elisha. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. But anyway, was able to look and see. God's on my side. 
these guys can't do anything to me unless God allows. And that's what's important for us. God is on our side. If he's on our side, nothing can happen to us that he's not going to allow. And very important for us to understand this. When bad things seem to be happening in our life, God has allowed it. And our question is, God, okay, how, God, what do you want me to learn from this? How, how is this going to help me? What kind of witness will I be? Sometimes it's just to be a witness on how a faithful, godly person goes through adversity. I shared with you the time when I was on crutches for six months, and I'm going, God, I don't see how this can be for any good. I'm in, I'm in a lot of pain. This hurts. I'm getting tired of not sleeping at night because of the pain. And then a year later, somebody comes up to me and told me about how you know, they were motivated and impressed and to, because they watched me go through pain and was able to start serving God through their pain. You know, was, it for, was it good for me? No. You know, other than the blessing of having somebody <laughs> be encouraged. So we also want to be careful because it's not always for our good that God puts us through things. It may be for the good of somebody else. And we, in our selfish desire, say, God, I don't see how this can be good for me. And God said, it wasn't supposed to be good for you. You're just being my servant. You're just being my servant, going through what I'm asking you to go through, and just do it. And we kind of forget sometimes we're his servants. And the servant does whatever they're told. Jesus talked about the servant plowing, coming in to plow the field, and the, and the master saying, okay, now go, go clean up and make make my dinner for me, and then after you're done feeding me, then you can eat. And we look at it and say, well, what a harsh thing. Well, what the servant what did. The servant did the work, and the master relaxed. Sometimes that's what we go through with Jesus and the Father. He says, I know you're having a hard time, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. If we spent our entire days on this world going through hardship, we would then say, God, I don't know what you're trying to do, but I'm not home yet either. I'm not home. When we get home, we will rest. And we will get the rewards for the endurance that we've gone through. But we in our flesh go, God, I, I, you, know, you wouldn't be through a lot of pain, God. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be asking me to do so much, God. And our flesh rebels. And when you get those attitudes with God, start putting it in check and say, God, I need my flesh crucified. <laughs> I need my flesh crucified. I need to love this person. I need to you know, see this test for whatever it is you want me to learn and focus on him. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to learn. And Lord, help us to see you in all that goes on and help us keep focused on you so that we can know that you are in charge no matter what appears to be going on in our life. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.